I'm here today to talk about Father's Day. One of my favorite things is being a dad. I'd rather be a dad than a preacher. That's saying something. Do you remember, Dad, uh, the very first time that you held your baby? Let your mind go back. My mind goes back to Tulsa, Oklahoma and San Francis Hospital. And I don't even know I'm getting a baby. I've just taken the wife there. She said, I think this is it. Nobody's giving me reports about what's going on. In those days, they'd let dad go in there. Thank God I'm not one of those that want to go in there and see that. And I'm sitting out in the waiting room with my brother and I hear this over the intercom. Mr. Dorsey, someone outside in the hall wants to meet you. And there stood the doctor with this little glass case with a, with a bloody mess in it. And I looked in there and it was my Lisa. And her hair was all matted down and her fingers were long and her toenails needed clipped. And, and I started talking about all that and the doctor touched me and he said, wait a minute, Dad, you're not talking about somebody else's baby, you're talking about your baby. But I didn't get to hold her. A little bit later, my dad comes down and we're, they've got her cleaned up and her hair is so pretty and her complexion is perfect. And I looked through that window and I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, what do you think she will be? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, son, she will be whatever you make her. And I want to tell every dad in this room and every young man that eventually will become a father that there's something that you need to know. You are a creator. Just like God the Father. And how our kids turn out is nobody else's responsibility but ours. And we are to be the utmost influence in our child's life as a father. And I just want to give you a little wisdom right here that I wish that somebody had told me when I was younger. I think it's profound. And that is this. God has put it in the heart of your children to please you. Don't mess it up. God has put it in the heart of your children to please you. Don't mess it up. We're told in the scripture in Proverbs chapter 23, you're very familiar with this passage, I'm sure. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There are things that we learn from our father without him saying, now son, this is how you do it. Now daughter, this is how you do it. Most of the things that we learn from a father, we learn by example and by just observation in life. And I think one of the crucial things in today's world that we need to learn from our Father is how to work. My Father raised me with this statement. He said, son, I would rather hear somebody cuss you as to call you lazy. And today we, are, we have a generation of people and the government's very much right now doing that. 
that we are becoming people of entitlement. You owe it to me. Can I just shock you right now and tell you nobody owes you anything? And a good father is going to teach his daughter that how important it is to work, and he's going to teach his son how important it is to work. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, the Word of God says, Work hard and become a... Work hard and become a... Work hard and become a... Where is everybody? Work hard and become a... Leader. Where do leaders come from? They don't come from lazy. They come because they give more than what's expected of them. Be lazy... And become a slave. I mean, after all, our Father Himself taught us before Adam was ever created that work is important. In Psalms chapter 150 and verse 2, the word says, Praise Him for His mighty works. Jesus said, The things that I do are what I see my Father doing. Don't let your kids catch you all the time in the recliner with your nose stuck in a TV sports event. Let them see you doing things in the yard, working all the time, because we don't want to raise up a generation that don't know how to do anything. It seems to me like, Katie, that we, we sing a song that's quite popular right now. And the words of the song go something like this. He never stops working. He never stops working. That's my father's example. He said, I don't ever stop working, so why should you stop working? And I feel like I'm talking to, to, the, to the choir right now. I, I just feel like that every father has the responsibility to raise up a son and a daughter that places value on work. Why? Because working makes us feel good about ourselves. My father raised me. I can tell you right now, the first $4 I ever raised in my life was picking pecans. And I felt so good, and you have to understand, the economy was a little bit different when I was a kid. And when we went to town, I bought black high-top basketball shoes for four bucks. I put those new shoes on and I, I came home and my dad put something inside of me. He said, son, you're becoming a man. You're buying your own shoes. And when I turned around 11 or 12, I got a lawnmower and I started mowing yards and buying my own school clothes. Dad said, son, you're becoming a man. You're beginning to provide for yourself. What is this hand-me stuff? Cowards. Work makes you feel good because you earn it. Nobody gave it to me. It's mine. And I'm going to tell you right now what I worked for. I would burn the tires off my daddy's car, but I promise you I wouldn't burn them off of mine. I might waste my dad's gas, but I'm not going to waste my gas. 
Why? It cost me something. I earned it and it makes me feel good. It is good for our mental health to work. What we work for, we take care of. And Paul put a principle out there that in today's world is offensive to a lot of people. It was used greatly in the founding fathers of this nation. And the quote was this, No work, no eat. It's not uncommon for a pastor to have somebody drop in and say, uh, I'm just passing through. Could you give me a couple of books? I need some help. Does that happen here? Out here? Hmm. I had a pastor friend of mine that had a shovel in his office. And every time that happened, he said, sure, man, I'll be glad to help you. He said, I tell you what, here's a shovel. If you'll go out here and dig this hole a certain size, I will they wouldn't do it. No work. The proverb writer put it this way. He said the lazy man puts his hand deep in the bowl. Well, let's move on. A father teaches us how to work. And a father teaches me by example how to love. Most women suffer emotionally if they have a husband that was raised by a father that was non-affectionate and was not good with his words. I can't tell you the number of times that I've counseled with women and says, my husband does not kiss me, my husband won't hold my hand, he doesn't hug me, all he wants is my body. And a father, by example, should teach his daughter what it is to love. How is a father supposed to love his daughter? When a father shows his daughter affection, he is showing her this is how your husband should treat you after you become married. He gives her tenderness. He gives her strength. He gives her touch. He gives her affirmation. My dad taught me a very valuable lesson. And the lesson that he taught me, and he never said it to me, he just demonstrated it. At Christmas time, in most families, who gets the most expensive gifts? The kids. We spend more money on our kids. But dad said, there's a queen in the house and I'm going to spend more money on her than anybody else. What was he doing to his boys? He was saying, son, when you marry a queen, you treat her like one. She's not an object. She's not to be taken for granted. She is to be honored and revered because of who she is. Because we are nothing without her. I hear one lady enjoying this message. When I would talk back to my dad, or excuse me, my mother, my dad would take me in the back room and he said, Son, 
I'm getting ready to take some flesh off of you because you're not talking to your mama, you're talking to my wife. And nobody's going to talk to my wife this way. I can tell you that a father, when he sees his daughter in danger, becomes a bear. We are not going to stand by and let somebody verbally abuse her. We're not going to let somebody take our daughter out on a date that we do not trust because the nature of the father is he is showing his daughter you are to be treasured and valued and to be honored. You are not to be used and you're not an object. I teach my daughter to value her body. It's not for display except to her husband. Well, since I've opened the door, I might as well just go ahead and kick it down, all right? Sometimes it's embarrassing how we forget that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this word modesty is something that's not even in the vocabulary anymore. That it's our goal to have our daughters in love with us. I wish somebody had told me stuff. Now, this, this stuff came along in a different generation, but I think it's great stuff. My son, right now, has three teenage daughters, and he takes each one of them out on a Friday night on a date, date night. He's teaching them, this is how a young man is supposed to treat you when you go out on a date. So he has fun with them. They have fun with him. And recently we was in a restaurant and the girls were fighting over who was going to get to sit next to Jason, their daddy. Daddy, I think it's a pretty good idea to have such a relationship with our kids that they argue over who's going to get to sit next to dad. What about a son? I can tell you right now, as a father, we're protective of those daughters. My daughter was the oldest. I prayed for her. She came in first. So I, I was protective of my daughter. When it came time for her to go to work, I was, I was a little bit more attentive to her. But when it came to my son, pardon me for being crude, but you kick him in the seat of the pants and say, get out there and get it, boy. Because we're talking about different nature here. Toughen it up, son. Suck it up. Child time's over. It's time to get out here and get with it. Get focused. Get it done. How do we love a son? 91 years old. My dad died. And there's not a time in my life that I can remember when I would go to see my dad, but especially, this, this happened every time I came to my dad's house. At 91 years old, here I am an old man. I'm walking through the door and my dad's in a recliner and he's reaching his arms down and he says to me, don't laugh. Because he called me Baby Glenn. He said, Baby Glenn! Oh, son, I love you so much. Come in, son. I've been missing you so bad. I just need to hug you so bad. And I can tell you right now that the safest place I've ever felt in my life was in the arms of my father. 
I remember my dad taking me fishing, and we go through a riffle. Do you all know what a riffle is? It's a swift current rolling over some rocks, and to my dad, it was waist high, but to me, it was almost up to my neck. And my dad, when we were fishing, you have to understand, the fish was always on the other side. So my dad grabs two minnow buckets, and he grabs three reels, and he grabs, he has them all in one hand, and he grabs me by the hand, and he said, son, we're going to cross over and fish from the other bank. And I said, dad, it's deep. I'm afraid I'll drown. He said, don't worry, son, you'll be all right. So you know that slippery rocks are in the water and moss is on them, and we're walking across there, and the current takes my feet, and I feel my body come to the top of the water and the current was pulling me away. But there was a firm grip that held me till we got to the other side. And I just want to tell you, friends, that God's got a grip on you and you need to get a grip on your son to let him know that there's not anything that you're going to take him into, that you're not going to be there to protect him and nurture him and make sure that he is safe. Teach your son how to be affectionate. It doesn't mean that he's less a man. It means he's a bigger man. That he is secure enough that he can show affection. Don't tell me that God's not affectionate toward us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on them that love Him. God's emotional. He tells the prodigal son story. And when his prodigal is coming, he don't stay in his seat but the set scripture says that the father gets up and runs to meet his son. And when he meets him, the scripture says that he kisses on him. One of the greatest displays of a father's love to a son that I've ever seen in my life was I used to be a member of a golf course in Searcy and there was a man there who clean cut, and he was a retired man, and he had a full-grown son, but he was an invalid, and he had no brain, he had just basic body functions, he didn't, he wasn't able to learn, he was totally disabled, and every day at a certain time, that father would take his invalid son and put him in a wheelchair, and put him in his golf cart, strap him in. Every day. And he would take his son on the cart path around the golf course. And he would stop. And he would have a conversation with his son. Just about every other hole he would stop and point something out. As though his son could understand everything that he was saying. It's in my book. I told him one day and listened to what he said. I said... Sir, I just want to tell you I'm writing a book and I'm going to put your story in it because I said you're one of the greatest dads I've ever seen because you love a child that can't love you back. And I said the sacrifice of what you're doing is overwhelming. I said I honor you for the way you take care of your son. And it was almost like an insult to him. He said, that's not a sacrifice, that's my son. A father teaches his son what love is. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. You're mine. You bear my name. 
And I want to tell you, Dad, the only thing that can never be taken away from you, you can lose your health, you can lose your job, you can lose your money, your house can burn, you can sit on a pile of ashes, but I'm going to tell you there's only one thing that is eternally yours. And it's in the Bible that says, Abraham, the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, in the eternal records of heaven, your son and your daughter are yours forever. They will never be anybody else's. The father teaches his daughter and his son what love is. Thirdly, I think we as fathers need to understand the power of our words because our words are what create the future of our children. One of the greatest motivations that a child can have, remember I started this message by telling you that God put it in the heart of every child to please their parent. I believe that. My father was so good about praising and affirming who I was. My dad never got an education. My dad was raised by an abusive father. And everything he didn't get from his father, he gave to me. He went overboard. I'll never forget, I were in vacationing in Tennessee. I'm a grown man. My dad's an old man. And you know what old men do when they go on vacation? They find a place to sit down and somebody to talk to. So here we are, we're enjoying this park, and, and I, I have to go to the restroom, and I walk by, and I hear my dad talking to this other old man, and he said, you see that boy going right there? He knew I was listening. He said, you see that boy going there? He said, that boy's never given me a, an ounce of trouble in his entire life. He said, you know, my son was a good athlete, and he said, you know, he pastors a church in B.B. Arkansas. He said, he'd been there a long time. He said, he's got a good church. He said, I'm so proud of that boy. He raised me from a child praising who I was. Putting value on me with his words. Here's what came out of it. When I was going to school, there was a lot of people that thought that I was arrogant. I was not arrogant. I didn't think I was better than anybody else. I just thought I was good as everybody else. And you want to know why? Because my daddy said I was. My daddy said I could do anything with God's help. My dad told me that I could be anything that I wanted to be. I could become anything I wanted to be. I could do anything that I wanted to with God's help. And I believed him. And because I believed him, when I walked on the ball field, I felt like I was the best. I could, I could whip you. If I play golf against you, I'm going to give you the best I got. If I preach, I'm going to give you the best I've got. Why? Because my dad put it in me. And I believe that, Dad, that you have the ability today to praise your daughter and praise your son into places they would never get. You can raise them higher than where you've been. You can put them on your shoulders and take them to a higher level simply because they believe and know that you, 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 you believe in them. 
Dad, you have the power of praise. Your words fill the heart of that son and daughter. Follow the pattern of God the Father. When it came time for Jesus to be known by the world, He is baptized by His cousin John, and as soon as He comes up out of the water, the Spirit descends upon Him like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son. Your daughter and your son need to hear you publicly affirm them. Publicly. What does it do to that child? It puts tremendous value because my daddy's words are next to God's. Somebody in this house, it's so quiet in here. I can hear the air conditioning running. I thought this was a good word, Pastor. I believe that a father's words prophesies the future of their children. God wants us to speak dreams into their future. Do you know Eric Bates? Eric Bates has a son named Jared. And every time he introduces his son to someone, this is how he introduces him. He said, this is my son Jared the giant killer. You know what he's doing as the dad? Intentionality. He's living with purpose with his son. Every time that he pronounces his son to someone else, announces him to someone else, He's putting the seed in that boy's heart that I'm not common. There's greatness in me because I'm going to deal with big things. What are you putting into your children? It's a father's way of saying that I believe in you. A father teaches by his words that your children will turn out good and not bad. I bless them for what they do that's good. I don't magnify the bad things they do. I magnify the good things they do because that's the target I want them to hit. They will live out my words. You're smart. <laughs> I remember people telling me in school, you can't sing. I said, yes, I can, because my daddy said I could. They say, Dorsey, you're not too smart. I said, you're nuts. My daddy says I'm smart, because what my daddy says is true. Your children believe your words. Speak to their future by affirming them with words publicly. Last of all, a father teaches us how to serve God. How to serve God. You see, there's some people that are churchy when they're at church. 
but they forget about Jesus the other six days. All the years that I've been in ministry, I've dealt with kids who said, well, my parents were religious on Sunday, but it was hell during the week. That's not what Jesus wants. What Jesus wants from a father is to teach his children how to serve him. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says these words, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I believe one of the greatest things that a father can do for his children is by example to teach them how to pray. You know one of the things that children don't hear? They used to write songs about if I could hear my mama pray again. Well, where's daddy? Daddy's the priest of the house. God hears dad's prayers before he hears anybody else. Why? Because dad's the spiritual head. Dad, I want to tell you if good things aren't happening with your kids, most likely you're not praying for them. Your children need to hear you calling their name in prayer. It's a good thing. 17 years old. No, I'm 18 years old. Oklahoma City in a baseball tournament. From the time I was a small boy, I've wanted to be a professional baseball player. Only sport my daddy would let me play, so I excelled at it. I was a left-handed pitcher, and they told me before the game starts, there are two pro clubs that are scouting you, and they will want to talk to you after the game based on how it goes. And for the first time in my life, I thought, man, I've got a future. I wonder if God wants what God wants for my future. So I walk up to the top of the bleachers in Oklahoma City, and I bow my head, and I say, God, if I can be a professional baseball player and serve Jesus, then Lord, please help me to have the best game of my life. But God, if you have something else for me, let it be one of the worst games of my life. Guess what happened? They didn't hit what I threw. They would hit crazy. They'd hit grounders, slow grounders. They would run up to pick the ball up, and guys that were the best couldn't pick the ball up. When they did pick it up, they would throw it in the outfield. When they swung a bat, they couldn't hit a ball. It was freaky. It was almost like watching a cartoon. And I thought to myself, God, there must be something else that you want me to do. And dejected my life dream. My life dream vanished. And I walked through the door with my spikes over my shoulder, headed toward my bedroom, and I heard my daddy praying. And I heard him praying, Dear God, don't let Glenn get so wrapped up in baseball that that's what he wants to do but God let him follow the call that you've had on him since he was a boy God don't let him slip through my hands God I want my son to do what you want him to do and that night Seth God took every desire every dream every ambition it's though it meant nothing like a penny on the ground and God shifted my focus to ministry all because I heard my father praying for me And the chances are that my father prayed me out of so many issues that I don't even know about. Your children need to hear you pray. They want to hear you pray. And I can tell you this, they're going to worship God the way you worship God. If you come to church and just sit, that's what they're going to do. If you don't clap their hands, they ain't going to clap their hands. How do you know that? i got a grandson. And he does everything... Not like Papa does. He does everything like his dad does. 
And I say, son, why don't you do this? Dad, don't do it. They're going to worship God the way you do. You don't go to the altar, they ain't coming to an altar. If you don't give, they're not going to give. If you don't care for the poor, they're not going to care for the poor. They're going to follow Dad's example when it comes to worship, when it comes to giving, and when it comes to witnessing. My dad was not just a preacher on Sunday. Oh, my dad would embarrass you anywhere. My dad prayed in the Spirit. I'll never forget. It was Thanksgiving dinner. We'd all come together. Everybody, my dad's an old man. And we get through with this feast. Man, we're just so full of turkey and dressing. And we're still sitting at the table having a big time. Dad gets up and he goes over and he sits down in the recliner. And he raises his hands. He starts praying in the Holy Ghost. He didn't care what was going on. He just got lost in God because he realized how blessed he was in his family. All of his kids saved. All of his grandkids saved. All of them loving the Lord. And I turned and looked at my brother and I said, Brother, how many people in the world do you know have a father that will lay in their recliner and speak in tongues and don't care who listens? And he said, we're blessed. I'd be with my dad going downtown. My dad would be thinking about his message on Sunday. He'd go, Woo! Oh, God, I just want to praise you, Lord, for you. That'll test your pride, I promise you. Dad didn't care. Wherever he felt God, he turned her loose. And when it come to witnessing, my dad, I thought, this man, there's something about him. So as an old man, I thought, well, Dad, you need to get a haircut. I'm going to take you to the barber shop, and I'm going to run down here at Walmart and pick up some things, and I'll come back and pick you up. He said, okay. So what happens? I get out of the car. I've got my stuff. I go into, I go into the barber shop. My dad's sitting in the chair, and the guy is trying to cut his hair. And there's five guys sitting there waiting to get their hair cut. And my dad was telling them, Guys, you can laugh at me all you want to, but I'm going to tell you hell's hot and God's holy. And if you don't know Jesus, He loves you so much He died to save your soul. He sent me in here today to tell you that He loves you. And when I leave here, man, I want you to think about what I said. That's the kind of daddy that I had. I believe that every boy and every girl in this room needs to hear their mom and their dad. Not just dad, but we're talking about dads today. But I believe that dads need to be the spiritual head and act like we are and quit asking for authority that we don't deserve, but get authority because we're honored because of who we are, because of what we provide, because of what we do for them, because we pray for them and we believe in them and we love them and we protect them. And what we get in back is yieldedness, obedience, and honor and the words says raise up a child and when he is old I'm talking about my old daddy when he is old I am an old man and I've not turned from my ways because I was trained training is not an accident too many fathers are raising their kids going to work and feel like the number one priority they have for their family 
is to provide. Dad, don't make that mistake. Of course we're supposed to provide. But our greatest responsibility when God brings kids into the world is to train them. How to love God. Last of all, and I'm done. I don't have a clock to see how long I've gone, so. The last thing I believe that we can leave our children is a generational blessing. My dad, at 28 years old, was raised in the home of an alcoholic. Abusive. He would cut my grandmother's hair off to the scalp. He would kick her teeth out when he would get drunk. He would set the house on fire. A three-room house with nine kids. My dad would sleep in the yard in the winter and eat raw oats like you would feed a horse. That's the home he was raised in. And the anger of his poverty and the anger of his abuse was about to overtake him and he was hiding in a closet waiting for his dad to come in. And he said, God, if my dad sets foot in this house tonight and goes toward my mother, I'm shooting him. And he had a loaded weapon in a closet waiting for his drunken dad to come in. And when my grandfather got drunk, he would sing, Nearer my God to thee. For some reason that night, my grandfather never came in the house, but he, he went to sleep in the yard. On my father's deathbed, he said, Son, I'm 91 years old, and I've never heard my father tell me that he loves me one time. At 28 years old, he was a time bomb waiting to go off, poor, uneducated, and angry until he would fight at the drop of a hat. And an old Nazarene preacher visited a sharecropper's farm. And while my grandfather was drunk, this preacher tried to tell him about Jesus, and my daddy heard it. And when my dad heard there was hope, the preacher invited him to his church and he went to that Nazarene church and the first night he went he made the walk to the altar at 28 years old and he gave his life to Jesus. And I want to tell you that what Jesus brought into the house what my father allowed to happen in the house was this. Never once did I see my dad raise his hand to hurt my mother. Not once did I ever hear him curse. Not once did I see him light a cigarette. Not once did I see him take a drink of alcohol. But my house was a house filled with love and fun and food and God. And at 28 years old, my daddy said, my children will never know the hell that I've lived in. And he prayed and he fought the devil of hell. And I was raised in a perfect home. I was raised not even knowing I was poor. He left a generational blessing on me. I left a generational blessing on my son and on my daughter. My son and my daughter is leaving a generational blessing on their kids. 
Four generations all because a daddy said, I'm going to be a father and I'm not going to let somebody else raise my kids and tell them what they're going to be. I'm going to raise my kids in the house of God. This is what the Word says. A good name is to be desired above great riches. You want to know, Dad, what you can leave your kids? You can leave your kids a good name. Generational blessing instead of a generational curse. My grandmother came to know Jesus and you want to come keyboard if you would? When my grandmother died, my father led his brothers and sisters to the Lord. Eight of the nine served God. Five of them went into ministry of some sort. Called into ministry. When my grandmother died, the church that we attended had three pews for the choir. My grandmother lived to be 103, and when she died, there were 60 ministers in her family, in her blood. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren that filled that choir with a call of God on their life. Not that being called to preach is greater than what it is for you to have your son or your daughter following Jesus. That was just our placement. But can you imagine what it's like from where you're sitting right now? What is it that you're going to leave your kids when you die? What will they remember? I want my kids to remember my love. I want them to remember how much I love God. The darkest day of my life, it wasn't really dark, I shouldn't put it that way. I knew my dad was dying and I never mourned his death. I had the honor of preaching my dad's funeral. I came and stood by the casket. His family members came by and paid their farewell. Honored him and saluted him for the good man that he was. After everybody had left, I put my hand on an empty chest. Breathless lungs and no movement. Just the shell of a man that remained. And I said, dear God, the spirit that rested on my father, I pray will rest on me. My brother heard me say that and he said, ah, I said, Get, leave me alone. A couple of years later, Pastor Seth, I was 
we had a men's conference and BB and several churches came to join us. Somebody else was preaching that day. I was not involved in it, but I was just, and I had a dream. I'd never dreamed about my dad. It bothered me that I didn't warn him. I've never dreamed about my dad, but once, twice, I take that back. And the dream that I had was this. My dad, I prayed for the prophetic gift that my dad had and and I saw him laying hands on men. I thought, wow, that's a strange dream. The very next morning at this men's conference, I wasn't preaching, and the altar area was full. Men were just jam-packed. And I'm standing in the middle section about right here, and behind me is full of men, and this aisle is full of men. And I feel somebody reaching for me, and they said, pray for me. And I felt another pull at me and said, pray for me. And I turned to put my man on a man, my hand on a man's head. And the video of that dream played in my head, and God said, Did you not ask for the spirit of your father? Generational blessing. There is something that you have the power to bless your children with treasure being a dad I want to ask every dad I want to ask every male in this room if you would please to come and stand across the front of this building